everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, no special announcements or anything, so I'm just going to jump right into it. First up, the 240p test suite team has just added MD Fourier analysis to the Game Boy version of the 240p suite, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. First, and as always, I think it's absolutely incredible that there's now software able to do a full analysis of the different audio channels of these consoles to allow for a much more accurate audio recreation on both software emulation and hardware emulation like FPGA devices. So that not only is that awesome from a preservation aspect, but it's also great for accuracy and just being able to have the same experience that you could have expected on original hardware. But on top of all of that, there are a lot of chiptunes musicians that use original Game Boys for their music. And while I'm sure many of them will still want their final recordings to be on original hardware and possibly even live recordings, depending on the musician, um, I think that having a way to test out their music that sounds exactly like they were what they would expect on the original hardware is really a handy thing. And I won't go too deep into this because I could probably just word vomit on for an hour about music and technology, but um, it's very similar to amp, uh, amp modulations and uh, impulse responses and stuff for guitarists because... Uh, you know, in, in the music world, there's uh, most people, especially most heavy metal guitarists, really prefer a tube amp uh, in all original stuff. However, there's a million reasons why that could be much harder than just plugging it into a digital processor that recreates it. But up until recently, meaning the past five-ish years, probably even, even sooner than that for certain other things... Um, it, you could absolutely tell what was a fake sound and what was a real sound. And much like retro gaming, there are people that could just listen to two seconds and go, that's fake. And there are people that just don't care, which is fine. I mean, it's all that stuff subjective. Uh, but it's really Im important to certain musicians to have the exact sound that they're going for. So the fact that this is implemented into a Game Boy uh, Game Boy Test Suite software for those chiptunes musicians is really awesome. And I really wished there was something like this, uh, something non-subjective for guitar amp modulation as well, because at the moment, uh, there's you're really just relying on people's ears to say, yes, this sounds exactly like your amp. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does, but it sounds like your amp when you put the microphones in front of it in a different angle. Like There's, there's a million different factors. Um, and I just wish that there was... A, an easier way to analyze that stuff. And the thought of being able to to do that same thing through a Game Boy with actual software that allows you to be able to tweak it is awesome. So, uh, you know, for any of you non-musicians listening, sorry to go off on that little tangent, any musicians listening are probably agreeing or violently disagreeing with me right now. That's cool too. I get it. But uh, yeah, thank you so much to the 240p test suite team for continuing to do all this crazy stuff that we all end up benefiting from. Darksoft has just opened pre-orders on his Namco System 1 Multi, uh, which is something that we talked about when it was first announced a few months ago. The price is about $375 plus shipping, but you'll also need a proper programmer uh, and, of course, an original Namco System 1 arcade board. Um, and unlike Darksoft's other products... Um, these work a little bit differently. So there is a dip switch setting that allows you to change the games. So power off your setup, set the dip switches to select which game you want, power it back on. Um, and that's pretty much instant. However, unlike a lot of Darksoft's other kits where you have an LCD screen where you get to select between them uh, and you could just drop everything on an SD card, these need the ROM chips themselves programmed individually. Um, you only need to do that once unless you need to 
change out games, but I believe there's 24 original games and 64 slots. So there's more than enough slots to have every single original game plus any other ROM hack or different region version or whatever else that you would want on there. So uh, there's already people on the forums talking about, you know, uh, sharing programmers and stuff like that. And, you know, if if your friend has a programmer, maybe they could do both of your sets of chips and kind of pull your money together. So uh, I do think there was a tiny bit of confusion at first as to how it worked. And I think some people thought you had to program the chip every time you wanted to change a game. And as far as I'm able to understand, that is not the case at all. Program all your chips, power off and flip the dip switches between changing games, and that's it. So, you know, people who people who insist upon using original arcade boards, and I say that I say that with love and frustration at the same time, by the way, because I'm one of those people that loves using original equipment, but it's insanely frustrating and expensive to keep up with everything. And, you know, it, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but if you're one of those people and you like the Namco System 1 games, which there's a bunch of cool ones on there too, um, Sp- uh, Splatterhouse, uh, there's a Pac-Man game that actually looked pretty cool. Uh, so this is definitely the way to go. Um, if you're not super into original hardware, software emulation for arcade boards is decent enough, and hopefully the mister will get on this at some point. But uh, I think if you are an original arcade board user, you're probably excited and are going to consider this one. So uh, 375 plus shipping, and it's due to ship late this year, early next year. I would set realistic expectations just because of everything going on in the world. Who knows? So I would just keep in the back of your mind early next year. And if it gets here sooner, awesome. But uh, thanks to Darksoft for continuing to make weird and cool stuff like this. The X-Station optical drive emulator just got another firmware update uh, that adds two pretty important features. The first is support for LibCrypt, which is um, a different type of game anti-piracy software that was included on a bunch of PAL disks. Uh, And that had been circumvented just by patching it. um, And I think it's been like that for a while. But now with this latest version of the firmware, you don't need to worry about patched versions. You could just put the file right on the SD card and it should work without any problems whatsoever. Uh, So that's that's just a handy upgrade that I think would make things easier for people to copy stuff over. Um, I don't really have any PAL games whatsoever, so I don't even think I tested them in uh, in my review, which is something I got to work on. I got to do remember that there's a whole other region of games that need to be tested with this stuff but uh, at least it's a non-issue now everything just works and also it looks like there's now support for using the negcon and guncon and mouse to navigate the menu which is handy if you're using those controllers to fire up a light gun game you don't have to controller swap you could use the the directional pad and all that to launch games right from the menu there Uh, which is cool because there are some fun light gun games on the playstation one and it is interesting to play tempest with that negcon wheel con- uh well the negcon controller is the one that moves each side turns and then there's another one that's like a wheel on it um it was kind of fun just to try those out i didn't love either experience but it was unique and different and this just makes it easier if you already own that hardware so uh, as always thanks to rama for keeping up on this and uh, always giving us some awesome updates Okay, I'm really excited about this next one. I don't know if everybody else is going to share my enthusiasm for this, but uh, it's, it was a big deal for me and probably for a lot of other content creators. Thanks to Risha and SuperG, there's now a tool available that allows you to convert your Sega Genesis save game files between Mr. and EverDrive formats. So 
I guess a bunch of different devices save Genesis save game files slightly differently. Um, I'm not really sure why, uh, but it's unlike other consoles where all of the save game files are done the exact same way and it can be transferred through original hardware, you know, ROM cards, software emulators, hardware emulators, whatever else. Uh, it's not like that with the Genesis. So it's really hard to do something like start a game on the Mr., you know, then bring it over to your EverDrive and then go, oh, hey, I, I really want to grab footage of that. Let me throw it in a software emulator on my computer to do a quick screenshot or something. And um, so I, I spoke to Risha about this and a few times she had made me save game files just manually that I wanted to uh, swap around for testing. And I said, you know, I bugged you about this so much. Could we come up with a script or something? Uh, so she wrote a script in C and I'm not a programmer and not smart enough to figure out what to do with that. So I brought that to Super G who made that into an EXE tool and uh, put that on his GitHub. Uh, now, at the moment, it only there are only two tools available. So you drop your save game file over one that converts it in one direction, EverDrive to Mister, or you could do the second EXE file that does the opposite, and it creates a new file. It does not edit the original. So worst comes to worst, you drop it over the wrong tool, it fails, doesn't really matter. You're not nothing's going on with your original save game file, uh, and it really is that easy. Download the tool, extract it to your hard drive. Windows only at this point, I believe leave and then just drag your save file on top of it and wherever the save file was the new one will appear next to it and just a note too depending on the browser that you're using when you download this file it might give you a warning the software is dangerous error that's just because there's exe files inside a zip there's there's nothing in there super g posted the code that's in there so you could double check to make sure nothing crazy is going on but it really is just a save game uh, swap uh, and I just, I found this to be so handy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just content creators that would use this. I really do think if I if I was just playing and not making content, I really would love to take different experiences across different devices like I always have. Um, and it's, it's easier for things like anything that plays an original cartridge, you could just move that along to all of the different devices. But a lot of these things, um, you know, aren't going to have original cartridge support. So I, I really love that there's a tool to do this. I hope that someday maybe there could just be a unified Sega Genesis format that everybody agrees on. And I think one of the main reasons that stuff like that is always hard to do is because what do you tell the, the thousands of people that own your devices and use your stuff about how their old save game files aren't going to work anymore? Um, and whereas now, if everybody just decided, okay, we're going to use this one method, everybody switch over. Now, at least there's the tools and the source out there for people to make their own tools so that you could just drag all of your save game files over and convert them. So hopefully this will lead to making things a little bit easier. Uh, I also reached out to a few people that make emulators, especially ones that are more, uh, more focused on developer features and asked if they would be interested in including this in theirs so that you could just you know, go right into their GUI menu and, and do this kind of conversion. I'm not sure if they're going to do it at all, but I did absolutely make them aware that this is out there just so that they'll have the ability to do it. So I don't know how many of you out there are going to be as excited as this as I am. If you are, let me know in the comments because I'm kind of curious to see what other scenarios people might use this for. Uh, but this is a tool that I'm going to be using pretty much any time I need to do any kind of analysis on Sega Genesis games. So um, very, very awesome that Super G and Risha were able to do this for us. There's a project called the Pytrex that allows you to interface a Raspberry Pi through the cartridge port. 
And what makes this interesting is that the full function of the Vectrix, including CPU functions, are available to be controlled right from the cartridge port. So when this project is connected, it first disables the internal CPU, uh, which is just a, a removable thing. It doesn't actually require any mods and there's nothing permanent, but when you plug it in, it disables the internal CPU and it turns the whole thing into a control software, which essentially means that you're allowed to uh, treat this like a monitor and controller input. So that means for things like any arcade game that could be emulated on the Raspberry Pi that uses a vector monitor can now be played through the Vectrix. And some are horizontally oriented, some are vertically, but any of the vertically oriented ones would look right at home on a Vectrix, including Tempest, which although that game's color, of course, uh, if there's a way to interface a spinner controller, maybe just through the Raspberry Pi's USB port, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, you could also play Star Wars, uh, and I think the analog controls of the Vectrix might lend itself well to that, uh, but overall, it's just a really cool and unique project for a pretty cool and unique console. Um, at the moment, it's still in progress, and there's no plans to sell these um, in the short-term future, but I think the team behind it wants to make it into a product that people could just buy, which would mean you would just need to buy one of these, a Raspberry Pi Zero, and then fire up something on an SD card to have the whole thing start to work. Uh, and also, interestingly enough, there are pretty good Vectrix emulators available for the Raspberry Pi. Uh, and I'm interested to see if you would notice any difference in the experience between playing an emulated Vectrix on a Vectrix versus original cartridges. Uh, but overall, it seems like something where, you know, you have yourself a ROM cart and a vector monitor emulator all in one thing for somebody that wants to purchase it. So I'll be following the project. Uh, I'll absolutely update everybody when it goes up for sale, if it goes up for sale. Uh, and it's just, it's just a very cool thing that I think, even if you're not a big fan of the Vectrix, you'd probably appreciate even just watching a video on how this things works. So, uh, you know, Thanks to Dan for passing along this link and letting me know this exists, and I'll keep everybody in the loop if it becomes something up that goes up for sale. Furtech has just released a new firmware update for the Neo CD SD loader that implements a few new pretty cool changes. Um, there's some bug fixes involved. Um, there's also a new cheat engine. Loading speed has been increased up to 25%, which is always awesome when you hear the words Neo Geo CD, um, and custom backgrounds are now available. And Alex, aka Arcade TV, has jumped on this and has already created a bunch of really awesome backgrounds that are equally as cool as the ones that he's created for the Mega EverDrive Pro. And in fact, since from the time I wrote this article to the time I'm recording this, there's a lot more that he's uploaded as well. So um, if you have a Neo CD SD loader, uh, you definitely upgrade to this firmware. You get a bunch of cool stuff with it. I mean, just the 25% speed increase alone is certainly worthy of a giant shout out to Furtech, but combine that with the really nice menus now and, uh, and everything else, uh, I think this is very cool. I still haven't had an opportunity to try one myself, but I know Beast has one, so one of these days we'll fire that up and uh, I'll be able to see what it's like. But thanks to Furtech and to Alex for continuing their work on all this cool stuff. Mike Chi has once again posted a pretty unexpected firmware update to the RetroTINK 2X multi-format, which, depending on your setup, might be a big deal or might not apply to you at all. But uh, the first feature is the same 
upgraded pass-through for 576p that was available in the last update on 480p. So basically, if you're in a PAL region and you want to play those upgraded signals, um, you have 444 color pass-through, so uncompressed colors um, passing through the 480p signal. There's also the oversampling mode, which depending on your display, uh, you might actually be able to get a little more detail in it. And of course, you could just flip the switch and turn it all off if for whatever crazy reason there's a compatibility issue. Also, other another pretty interesting thing is there's now the ability to pass through 240p and 480i with completely uncompressed colors. So all the RetroTINK products are 422 on uh, when they do the line doubling. And when it's line doubling, it still is 422, which depending on the situation, a PlayStation 1 game or a PlayStation 2 game, you'd probably never notice the difference on an old school 16-bit and 8-bit consoles. Maybe because there's so many solid colors, large splotches of solid colors. Um, You know, if I did a side by side comparison, you might notice some people just can't see color compression as much as others. However, in the pass through mode, you're now able to send these signals uncompressed, which there's a few pretty cool advantages of this. First of all, uh, if you just have a VCR that you want to play on your uh, TV, the comb filter that's in the M is really good. So that might actually help for video capture uh, as well as just playing on your TV. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend buying the M just for that. But if you're already going to buy it for the PlayStation 2, now you, you could really have a great um, device that does this as well. Uh, if for whatever reason your TV handles 240p over HDMI well, then same thing, leave it in pass-through mode and um, uh, now you can get uncompressed colors with that great comb filter on composite video. But you could also use it uh, connecting to an open source scan converter. So now you have true 240p pass-through uncompressed colors with a really good comb filter on composite video. I believe that would look pretty decent going through the OSSC to, you know, 5x mode if you wanted to, as opposed to uh, the Core U transcoder or the other retro tanks or really any other way to get just composite video directly in. I haven't tested this, so that's speculation, but it's certainly worth trying out uh, if if you have all of these components. And just to note, if you're going into a different scaler, if you're going into the OSSC, you'd want an HDMI to component video converter, and hopefully someday soon we'll see HDMI scalers that are designed for retro gaming uh, that would be able to handle this exact scenario. But overall, it's pretty cool. Uh, I almost redid the entire RetroTINK 2XM video the last time there was a big update, and I'm glad I didn't because I would have really wanted to talk about this. Uh, and, you know, like I like I opened this segment with, you know, if neither of those scenarios apply to you, you know, if you're just plugging in your PS2 to your flat panel, the update isn't really as big of a deal. Uh, but if either of those scenarios fall under something that you would use, it is pretty cool, uh, especially for anybody in PAL regions that just wants great quality upscaling and or pass through and oversampling, not upscaling of 480p. Sorry. Uh, and, you know, I, for me personally, I will absolutely utilize the comb filter on this to get some kind of composite video capture direct into my capture cards um, and and be able to have it in uncompressed colors to get a true feel of what it looked like with that filtering built in. So awesome that you could buy a product and have all of these updates come after the fact just by a simple firmware update. So uh, very cool that Mike continues to work on these things. And just a quick reminder, any any firmware update to the newer RetroTINK products like this is super easy. Install some software and a driver, 
yeah, you know, basically just install a couple of things, plug it into your computer, hold a button down, and you could load up the firmware that way. You don't need a programmer. You don't need anything crazy. It's all very easy. So uh, if you own the M and either of those features sound even remotely good to you, definitely give it a try. Another bit of Darksoft news this week. He's been working on a different project for the CPS3 multi-cart that allow for ROM replacements with much faster loading of different games. So a quick overview, the current CPS3 multis require between 35 and 45 minutes to flash the game in order to switch games, uh, which is incredibly tedious and painful. And this new method would take about that much for each game, but once it's loaded, it's there permanently and you could switch instantly between them. So there still would be a lengthy setup process um, and that uh, still would require using a lot of the slower programming techniques. But once it's there, now you're able to just switch games back and forth like any other multi and it's almost instant. So, you know, there's only six official CPS3 games and there's two hacks available for it. So it's it's something that wasn't a giant deal if you're an arcade fan, you know, if you're going to a tournament or if you have your favorite game, load it up, come back, go to the store, run some errands, <laughs> whatever else. Uh, but I think this is pretty cool because it just gives easier and faster access. Um, I don't believe there's any word on when the kit's going to be released, but uh, pre-orders should be starting relatively soon. And it's expecting to be about $500 for the kit, which doesn't include some of the extra modifications you might need on the BIOS. And I'm assuming uh, you might have to have your own kind of programmer. So and nothing arcade related is ever inexpensive i'm pretty sure anybody in the arcade scene already realizes that but this is certainly a cool enhancement for um you know for people that actually use all of the different games the cps3 has to offer and doesn't want to wait a million years to switch between them so um i'll uh, keep everybody updated once pre-orders actually go live and if you want more info check it out on arcadeprojects.com which requires uh registration to view but it's totally free so not that big a deal Metal Jesus was able to get a Warrior 64 for review, and unfortunately, it stinks. Um, you know, I think after the last uh, email exchange with them, and especially after the fact that they stopped responding to me, I kind of knew it was going to stink, because if it, if it was any good, they would have, you know, all my emails were polite. They would have gladly responded and said, all right, well, maybe you can try this. Maybe I'll send you one. But the fact that they never sent me one and stopped responding as soon as I called them out for it not being what they said it was, I kind of knew this was going to happen. And it does get a bit worse, unfortunately. Um, according to the video, uh, he pushed back and said, no, this thing is not ultra HDMI quality like you've been telling me it's going to be. You know, it's not as good. I don't think I could re recommend this to people. They came back and said, all right, well, after this Kickstarter campaign's over, then we'll come up with a better solution. Like, Seriously? Seriously, and this is the exact mentality of companies like Level Hike, which I think is the same company, because if you look at their garbage cables, it's the, ah, we already bought the parts. Let's just get rid of it and sell them off, and then we'll, we'll maybe we'll do it right later. And, you know, there's got to be a happy medium. You, you can't never release a product because it's not good enough for your standards, but you got to release something that you know isn't garbage. And that really stinks for anybody that had uh, that had backed this Kickstarter, thinking that it was, number one, a plug-and-play solution, like it said right in the title, and it still does, uh, or people that bought the completed kits and heard this company talk about, oh, it's ultra HDMI quality. I never expected it to be. I had realistic expectations, but my only requirement, if you will, was that it 
doesn't suck, that it's not just a level high cable soldered directly to the board, which it kind of looks like it is. Um, Metal Jesus was nice enough to send me one. Uh, apparently, it's going to get here in about a week or so, and I will do the lag test, the progressive processing tests, and see if there's any mods that could be done to salvage this thing for the, those of you who may have already bought it. Um, but it's going to be a short video because I'm pretty sure I already know what to expect. I've been wrong before, but I think we all know what to expect when I get this thing. So it just, it, it really, really stinks for everybody that wanted anything other than a new case. Uh, if you spent the money on this and you really just wanted it for the case and, you know, a typical cheap third-party controller, then you're fine. I At the moment, I would say don't install the kit yet. Don't install the video kit. Just use it like a stock N64. And that's totally cool. I mean, that's if, if you preferred the look of this case, then that's fine. You know, you, you just probably spent a little more than you expected on it. But if you really thought that this was a plug-and-play kit, like their Kickstarter campaign said in the title, uh, and if you really thought you were getting a quality solution, it's proof now that it is not. And it really stinks because there's nothing you could do if it's after the fact. Uh, you know, maybe Metal Jesus's video will reach enough people that the you know people that thought they were getting something different could still cancel their pledge. But I don't really think that that that's the case most of the time. Most of the time, people just they they pick a write up, they find a publication that's supposedly reputable, and you know they read it or they watch your video, they buy it, and they walk away, and then just eventually wait for it to arrive. So it's just really disappointing that Kickstarter won't help. They don't care as long as they get their cut. doesn't matter. And it's also disappointing that this company is continuing to willingly sell junk to people, knowing that it's junk. And they just that's what you get with Pound and with Level Hike um, and with X-Agent and with a lot of the Hyperkin stuff. Hyperkin actually does sell a lot of really cool stuff too, but they also sell a lot of terrible stuff. So I don't know. It's disappointing. I was really I had high hopes for this, and I would especially think uh, that somebody who has heard the feedback of the level high cables and knows how terrible they are would think maybe this is a new company and a new name, and now I can make Intech Gaming a, a brand people could recognize as quality. But no, they just stuck their crappy level high cable in it. So. Oh well, expect a video from me in a couple weeks confirming without a shadow of a doubt all of the things that we've talked about and that, that Metal Jesus showed in his video. But to be perfectly honest, um, just watch this video and that'll tell you everything. My video is just going to be a, here's all the nerdy reasons why that's 100% true and here's maybe something you could do to make it not suck, but it's going to be a complicated install. It's certainly not going to be plug and play. So too bad for the, the depressing news on that one. I really wanted to like it, but eh. My Life in Gaming just posted a video that's kind of an update to their series about different ROM carts, and they go over kind of all of the updates since their last few. Um, over the years, they've done one video about the console uh, ROM carts, another one focused on portable for handhelds, uh, and this one's kind of a continuation of each, and I, I really enjoyed it. I do have to admit, when I first saw it pop up, I went, all right, I'll, I'll watch that video when I have time, but you know, I already own some of those, and I know what to expect, and you know, normally I watch their videos the moment they're released, pretty much. And when I eventually got around to watching this, I was just like, the first thing I could think of is, holy crap, this must have taken forever to make. There are so many really awesome shots in that. It's just, I mean, you know, I, my life in gaming videos are always high production and nice. But for whatever reason, I just, I saw a lot of stuff in here that I recognized how much time it took to get each one of those shots. And I was really impressed. But I also really enjoyed the flow of the video. So even if you're kind of 
already know what to expect with what's coming in these ROM carts. I just think they did a really great job presenting it, and I, I really enjoyed it. It certainly didn't feel like an hour-long video at all. You know, it felt like a normal, average-sized video. So that's always, in my opinion, that's always a really good sign. If you could sit there and watch a really, you know, a long documentary that feels short, that means you are interested the whole time, and this definitely falls into that category. Um, Corey wrote up the post and wanted to have two corrections about uh, stuff in the video. Um, one, he just wanted to clarify about uh, MD Fourier and how it was used to make the to tune the Mega EverDrive Pro. If you want more info on that, just check out the section with Artemio in my uh, Mega EverDrive review. Um, I don't really consider that a mistake on Corey's part, but I think whatever, cool. You know, I'm glad that the, those guys are always humble about their videos. Um, and the other thing is they were talking about a high pitch sound that you could hear during the NES segment. And I do remember hearing that. I listened to it with headphones on, uh, you know, on a, I would actually watch this one on my phone on a train. I usually don't I usually watch it, all these on my TV. And I absolutely noticed that in my headphones. Um, and Corey thinks that it could just be because he recorded that with the double mega audio mod, which has no, it's raw audio. There's no filtering on it and specifically no high pass filtering. So um, it's not a true representation of what the NES audio would would be. Uh, but I don't think Cricks ever, even if that was the case, I don't think Cricks ever spun the Nest core as like a selling feature of it. I always thought, I got the impression that he was like, hey, look at this ROM cart that I made. By the way, for fun, it does NES games too as well. But here's like, here's the real ROM cart over here. So it's cool that, you know, very cool that Corey took the time to clarify both of those. But you know, but respectfully, I don't think that was necessary. I think the video was awesome just as it was, uh, and certainly weren't mistakes in there or anything like that. But anyway, um, great video. If you're a fan of My Life in Gaming or ROM carts or just cool video game documentaries with lots of neat footage, definitely watch this one. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody that supports on services like Patreon, because without your help, none of this stuff, none of the behind-the-scenes research, and none of the reviews or anything would be possible without you. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.